Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. If this is your first time here in our show, well, I've got good news. It's based on a really simple idea that we've all had teachers in our lives who help shape who we are. And every educator we have on this podcast, whether it's a teacher, a coach, professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. We want you to be a part of this show, so please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the teachers in your community who deserve a spotlight. You can email us with your nominations and story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. That's teacherslounge at niu.edu. So this week we are revisiting a Teacher's Lounge classic episode. So my mom has officially retired from teaching. She just finished up a few weeks ago after about two decades in the classroom teaching everything from kindergarten, math intervention, reading intervention, music, art, even a little bit of PE just for good measure too. And obviously she was also, you know, my first teacher. And so I want to say congratulations, of course, to her. And in honor of her retirement, I wanted to re-release my 2021 conversation with her as we reflected on her at the time impending retirement, her love of teaching and how it evolved over the years. And as she bounced around different subjects and age groups as well as what it was like making a career change into teaching at 40 years old. So, you know, on a personal note, it's also not lost in me and how cool it is to have this recorded time capsule conversation with my mom at this point in our lives. And so I'm, I'm really lucky. Anyway, it's my mom, Lisa Felker, on this episode of Teacher's Lounge. Before we get into that, I do have a few education stories we want to share. The new Illinois state budget includes $250 million for early childhood programs, and some of that will support early intervention services for Illinois' youngest children with disabilities. And I wanted to learn more about why it's so challenging for families to get their kids with disabilities the care they need. A few years ago, Roma Gardner and her baby moved to DeKalb all the way from Ghana in West Africa. As she was settling in, Roma began to notice some delays with her son Luke, who was a year old. But she couldn't quite put her finger on it. He had met all the developmental milestones up to that point. One day at the library, a woman from 4C, Community Coordinated Childcare, handed Gardner a pamphlet. And when she called, they told her about their free developmental screenings. They came in with their therapist, they screened him, they realized he had a speech delay, he had some occupational therapy needs, fine motor delay. Her son needed three early intervention services, developmental, speech, and occupational therapy. She had no idea. She didn't even know these programs existed. At her income level, it was free, and it happened completely by chance. Seeing so much progress. When we started, he was not even saying after two words. Now he's saying so many words, all his colors, counting to 20, alphabets, and speaking without prompts. He's signing words that are really powerful and important. He's more regulated. Early childhood professionals call that a success. But that's not always the story in Illinois. There has been, for quite some time, not enough providers to take care of all the services that are required for families Mm. throughout the state. That's Angela Hodges. She's the program manager of Child and Family Connections Number 3 in northern Illinois. She supervises early intervention case managers and, because of staffing shortages, has a full caseload herself. In six counties, all early intervention referrals run through her office. So a parent or pediatrician notices a developmental delay, sends it to Hodges, who helps the family connect with a therapist. Hodges' agency serves just over 500 Northern Illinois families, mostly in DeKalb County. 
And there are 16 early intervention services they can provide, with speech therapy being the most common. And the law states that within 30 days of writing a family plan, deciding which services they need, children should begin receiving services. Maybe 10% are waiting more than 45 days, up to, I think in some areas, probably higher. There are tens of thousands of kids statewide receiving services, and sometimes it can even take months to assess whether they need early intervention at all. Hodges says they serve more kids now than pre-pandemic, but with less staff. It's why wait lists have returned over the past nine months. And even if they can line up a therapist for a family, it might not be convenient. A lot of early interventions happen in a child's home, but sometimes it's not possible. Hodges says she knows in Bureau County there are families who have to drive an hour to Peoria twice a week to receive services for their kids. Otherwise, since the pandemic, they can offer families a virtual therapy option. Samantha McDavid is the regional council manager for Birth to Five Illinois' DeKalb County region. There are some therapies, like speech especially, that over a screen are just never going to be as effective. Many families aren't interested in virtual therapy. Dan Coffey is the president and CEO of Service Inc. It's a nonprofit that runs another Child and Family Connections in Northern Illinois. And he says they have a lot of families who refuse video therapies, but because they're technically turning down services, they're no longer on a wait list. Some kids get early intervention services at a daycare, too. Agnieszka Moroni is a pediatric occupational therapist. Playing is the major occupation for kids. She's been going into homes providing early intervention for the past eight years in the Chicago suburbs. The nice thing about being in the homes versus other settings is I see the setup of their crib. I see their setup of their high chair at the table, right? So like if we're talking about sleeping, I'm there. I can see it. I can problem solve with the bed. Finding daycare is really hard, especially for families of kids with disabilities. And some daycare centers don't allow therapists, so the kid just doesn't get therapy at all. Some let her in, but with limited space. And Moroni says kids with disabilities essentially get kicked out of some daycares because the centers realize they don't have the staff to support them. And after years of hearing those stories, she decided to start her own daycare for kids with disabilities. Early intervention services aren't always free either, like they were for Roma Gardner and her son. Hodges says family fees were paused during the pandemic, but are likely to return this summer. Depending on the family income, it could cost up to $200 a month, plus the cost of daycare. But despite the complexities, program manager Angela Hodges says parents and caregivers are the experts on their kids, and if they feel like something isn't developing appropriately, to trust their gut. I also got to report on how schools are federally required to help students without stable housing and how the pandemic made it tougher than ever. In the 2019-20 school year, 10% of all Rockford Public School students were considered homeless under the federal McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act. That's 2,800 students. For comparison, there were more Rockford students considered homeless than total students in the Dixon School District. Through the pandemic, the numbers in Rockford have gone down substantially. But homeless student liaisons and McKinney-Vento coordinators who work with the district say it's not because there are far fewer unhoused students now. Oh, gosh, no. No, if anything, I mean, I would say that even the 2019 numbers are lower than what 
they should be. That's Megan Hawkinson. She's the director of at-risk student services at the state's regional office of education covering Boone and Winnebago counties. She says numbers declined because it's been much harder to identify students during the pandemic. Some families aren't aware of the services or have disappeared from school entirely. Part of her job is making sure school districts like Rockford properly spend the grant money to support students without stable housing through McKinney-Vento, which guarantees the right to education for unhoused students. That federal money first flows through Deb Faust's office. She's the McKinney-Vento Area 2 lead liaison. Her region covers 16 counties in northern Illinois. And the reason she thinks there aren't fewer unhoused students now is because poverty rates haven't improved and availability of affordable housing hasn't improved. I truly believe that in these next few years, our numbers will continue to be back where they had been. Faust says McKinney-Vento money has to be spent on educational success. They can't just pay families rent, but it's still much more broad than just buying backpacks and pens. They support families with gas cards, clothing vouchers, sometimes weekly hotel stays. Faust just reimbursed a school for a trip to Six Flags for kids who earned it through a reading program. And not every student who meets the McKinney-Vento criteria is living on the street. Many are couch hopping, staying with friends or other relatives. It's something Dr. Antoine Reed has seen firsthand. He's the chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at Rockford Public Schools. And shortly after he was hired last year, he took a few weeks and rode the bus to school with students. You would be on the bus one day, and maybe a week later when I would go back to run the route, uh, the scholar had moved out or one sibling is still there and another one is in a motel. The thing that stuck out to him over and over is the kids want to be in school and work incredibly hard just to walk through the front doors every day. Heard a young lady say, well, I had to stay at my auntie's house and I had to figure out how to get a Uber and all these things. And this scholar was in third grade just to get home in time to get on that school bus the next morning. Shate Henderson is a social service coordinator for Rockford Public Schools Families in Transition, or FIT, program. Henderson has around 270 students in transition on her caseload across nine different schools. And she meets with students and families every day, either at their house, school, or wherever they're comfortable. Mom asked me, she was like, well, can you give me some socks? And as basic as that sounds, I'm like, wow. And I went and I found some socks. And she thinks a lot about students like one girl who's a junior at Jefferson High School in Rockford. Yeah, it was time that she was just going one day a week. And she doesn't live with her family. She lives with a family that took her in. And they love her. The two met, and the student opened up to Henderson. The coordinator talked her through how she could still graduate if she goes to summer school. Henderson just checked in, and the student's attendance is getting better, and she seemed more excited to be there. Henderson always stresses with students and families, they're in the FIT program all year whether things improve or not. They're trying to do everything right. It still does not always go their way. It does not mean that they're lazy. It does not mean that they don't care about their kids. Advocates say every situation is different with families in transition. That's why people like Deb Faust say it's important to train school staff in McKinney-Vento so they're able to identify warning signs to make sure students access the services and education they deserve. All right, now it is time for my conversation with my mom, now retired teacher, Lisa Felker. Buddy, we need a childhood dog on the podcast. Excuse me, do you have a few moments? I think we might've got something there. That's what you want. This last year was your 15? This last year was my 15 year at the school district that, that I've been teaching at. So actually I've taught for 17 years. 17. 
So I had two years that I taught part-time, which kind of, I guess you could say, just equals one year. But um, yeah, two years at a prior school district before this one. I was going to say, I was going to ask you about Lisbon too, but one of the things I wanted to mention was that, so you, this is your 17th year that you just finished up, but you have two years left? Yeah, this year and then one more year after that. So you have, so. You have more or less, a little bit slightly less than two years left. Yes. And do you feel like you've gotten to the point now where you can kind of reflect back on what the entire experience was like and did it meet your expectations or was it different than you expected it was going to be? Oh yeah, it absolutely met my expectations. And you know what? I've learned so much at every year that goes by, you learn more tricks to more tricks under your belt, you know, whether it has to do with classroom management or just presenting the material. So the more years that you have, you just you learn so much, you really do. And you it's just when I decided to go into teaching it was later in life, and it was really because of the the love that I had for children and just being around children in general. So that's kind of what drew me into teaching at that point in my life. So, I mean, you could actually even say that, like, being a mom and loving doing that is actually one of the things that made you want to be a teacher for and work with other kids. Yes, right. And, right. um I remember that right when I was going to college, right when I was out of high school, one of my summer jobs was at the playgrounds and organizing all the activities for the, the kids coming in the summer for the playground. And um, I just loved it. They just kind of gravitated towards me, I guess. <laughs> kids just gravitate to me. <laughs> that works out. You know, and- I don't know if I've ever asked you this specifically, but I, you know, it's something that I ask on pretty much every episode of this show because the whole, you know, people are nominated because they feel like they need a spotlight or something. And I found that normally, if you're if you become a teacher, it's because you had a teacher at some point down the line too that inspired you or was good to you or, or made you feel like that was a possibility. Did you have someone? at any point of your journey in education that you loved so much where you're like, that's who I have in my mind when I think of teaching? Yes. And well, and I can also say that I always loved going to school, right? So I, <laughs> I loved going to school. That's kind of a prerequisite for being a teacher. You would <laughs> I help. love being in school. I love the whole idea you love of the, school. The two months off, fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I can um, think back to two teachers in particular. Uh, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. O'Connor, and she was just, um, she just kind of made me feel like I was special in the way that, you know, you could be this good. You really could be this good at math. You could really be this good at reading. And where I always thought, well, I was just kind of average, but she was, you know, she kind of called me out as being, you know, I guess I got to be on like the accelerated math um, in her classroom. And I just remember her being such a positive person saying, you know, you could be better than average, you know? Well, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this at least once or twice, but, you know, when you are a teacher, we know that the biggest thing that kids are going to take away for the most part is not necessarily the day-to-day lesson plans and the curriculum that you're trying to impart onto them, but the biggest thing that people are going to remember years down the line is how you made them feel. Absolutely. And yeah. like, is that something that 
when you got into education, is that something that you immediately realize or is that something that comes with the experience? I think the more you teach, the more years you put in, the more you really see the needs that all the students have and how you really want to say and do things to uplift them because you just, you know, some students, they need it more than others, but, you know, you really want to showcase the positives in them and uplift them. And I think the more you teach, the more you see the need for that and the more you learn how to do that and just kind of individually point out things, uh, their strengths in that, just to kind of, you know, encourage them. I know that people, like, they emphasize and, like, colleges of education now this like whole child mindset where you're trying to look at the social emotional needs of of kids right away right and i think that a lot of principals are going into the new school years you know i don't know if it is necessarily because of covid and all the trials that you know mental health and that with students but they first priority they really want you to get to know your students. Yeah. Really, really get to know your students before you even start teaching content. Is that what you were taught in when you were starting off too? Um, not so much. It was, was it just like make sure that you have the content covered, make sure you can do that? Right, and classroom management obviously was, was a part of it too. Right. It really was, yeah. you know, but really getting to know your students, their interests, their likes. and so Mental you, health wasn't as much of the conversation. No, no, it wasn't. But um, I think now you can't really teach content unless you actually know that individual and where they're coming from and how they how they learn, you know, because each student learns right. differently. I think that that's something that we people have articulated to me that makes a lot of sense where you're like, if you're not comfortable and and safe and feel heard you're not if you don't have that environment you're probably not going to be able to actually learn in the best way possible yeah that's absolutely true because um if you're coming to school hungry you know that's obviously foremost on your mind right you haven't had a breakfast um or you know if something bad happened the night before that's on your mind so you know you really have to take the time and i was I think I was listening to someone say the other day about how, you know, really with teaching, it's really nice to kind of have a co-teacher too because you can kind of bounce off ideas about if a student comes in and disrupts, you know, not so much focusing on the behavior but kind of giving a whole lesson on it Mm -hmm. for everybody. Right. So that it's not just centered around the one student who's, you know, having the you know, disrupting the class or whatever. So, and if, you know, right at that moment, if you're not quite sure what to say, you can really make it a teachable moment, though, if you, you know, handle it the right way. And you've had a lot of moments over the years where you come in and someone is either, you know, being disruptive or not paying attention, and it becomes really clear that their home life is not good or there's something else going on. Right. And you know what? Usually those those kiddos are really easy to talk to one-on-one they really are and if you take a chance to go off to the side with them or talk to them after class later you can find out some really good information and they're really most of the time willing to listen and willing to talk things out with you yeah so 
can we run through really quick the list of all the things that you've taught in, in 17 years? Kindergarten, middle I, school art, middle school music. What did I miss anything? PE. PE. That's right. I forgot about uh, PE. Reading intervention, <laughs> math intervention. Um, did you say music? I did say music. You said yes. mu- elementary music, middle school music. So it's yeah, it's really made me very rounded. Um, when I think back, yeah, I don't think I would have changed anything because boy. I mean, my experiences have been really great in all those, and I really enjoyed teaching all those. Maybe not PE so much. It was kind of loud. <laughs> it's a little loud. <laughs> it was routine. very loud in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've learned so much, and it's been good. I mean, is it hard at the beginning when you have to switch into something to be flexible? Because I know that you're worried about I want to be able to give these kids the best that they can get, right? Like, I want to make sure that they're getting from this class what they need to and that I'm prepared to do that. Is that really difficult at first to adjust and become confident in it yourself and then be able to do that for them? It is, and I'm glad you said that because it's like you want to give them the best experience. You want to give them the most information, the most content, the most... So if you've never taught that subject before, yeah, you have to take time to research. You have to take time to self-teach yourself again, try out different lesson plans, see if they work, if they don't work. But there's a lot of self-teaching and there's a lot of... There's a lot of learning and teaching. <laughs> a lot of learning and teaching, right. So, um, yeah, but I've really enjoyed the last six years or so that I've done the art slash music I've kind of really developed a lot in myself as far as what I can do. Were any of those intimidating when they they first told you, like, you're going to have to do PE or you're going to have to do art or music? Was there one of them where you're like, oh, I don't know if I know how to do that? Well, maybe up to fifth grade music because, all right, so I, I have a music background. I played the flute, so I played an instrument. So I Piccolo. Know, a little well, bit, right? Well... Some piccolo? A little bit of piccolo. <laughs> okay, we'll but not overstate the piccolo. Mostly, you know, just the standard flute. But, you know, I know, you know, basic notes, rhythm, right. beat, and, you know, how, music, to, that sort of thing, yeah. how to teach rhythm and beat and how to teach the basic notes, you know. And so teaching elementary music, you know, wasn't that difficult. Plus, I found out that, wow, you know, the little kids, they just love to sing funny silly goofy songs you know and if you just give them the love for music right you know that's what they want they have so much fun you know like some of these songs that i've pulled out from years and years ago like probably the elvis back when when i was a kid there was the what is the elvis bread song right the 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 gi blues is that one blues and actually peter the year that i had to teach fifth grade (laughs) i actually asked you what were some of your favorite (laughs) songs that you sang in fifth grade and you were right they really enjoyed that i think it i think it's that they have the really like obscure names of bread where it's like hessen pfeffer and black pumpernickel yeah it's just fun to say so when we were pulling the lyrics out we really had to explain what some of those words meant too I guess my thing is, if we're having fun, right. you know, that's number one priority. You know, are you having fun? Are we singing songs that you enjoy? You know, besides learning some basic note facts and how to read a little bit of music. And 
But, you know, I've had requests for, you know, siblings to be in my music classes. It's, you know, because they like the songs that we sing. They, you know, but the little ones, boy, 45 minutes is a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be ready to switch gears all the time from one thing to the next thing to keep them, you know, stand up, sit down, move around. So you started, though, kindergarten. Do you, do you ever miss it? You know what? There's something special about kindergarten because it's, it's a stepping stone, right? It is, and it's like, unless you were in preschool, it's a lot of times the first teacher, and you never forget who your kindergarten teacher was, and just the love for school, the love for school and the love for your teacher, the hugs that you get, and just, you know. It sets the tone. It's kind of the launching pad for the rest of your education journey, right? right? They're just so excited, and they're just so, I mean, there's so much, you know, you're you're teaching them. Their letters, their numbers, they're te- you're teaching them how to write w- some words and how to read. It's just like big time stuff. I know. And I always say, I think that I must have been sick one day in kindergarten because <laughs> on the day they taught everybody how to write, I was sick that day because most, if I like writing a letter S, look at right now, if you're on the piece of paper, people start from the top and go the way. And I am starting from the bottom and moving my way from the top. And for my whole life, I've realized that I am writing most of my letters and numbers upside down. And that was that must have been just one day in kindergarten. <laughs> I wasn't there for <laughs> the letter S. The letter S day, <laughs> whatever day of the week that was. Or, you know, or you're just, your motor skills just run into gear and that's what your hand muscle, right. fine motor skills felt comfortable with. I guess. So, you know. So you, we mentioned here you started off in Lisbon and you were part-time there and you really loved it there though. I did. You know, we're talking small classrooms, you know, like I think my first kindergarten class was eight kids and... um, How old are they now? I think that class has got to be junior or seniors well, in if we, college. Well, if you do the math, they're if that was 17 years ago and they were five and six there, they're like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah. They're... They're probably, they might have graduated college. They may have, yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, and I can just picture their little faces, too. Yeah. And I always say that, you know, I've, I've really had a unique situation where right now I'm teaching elementary and middle school, but some of those, I, I see them when they're little, and then I get to watch them grow. I get to watch them grow up right in front of me, and I think that's a real unique thing to be able to experience and I've known them, you know, when they were really small and then in middle school. And, yeah, we're with those kids so much. We really are. And, you know, we have a big responsibility. Yeah, and Lisbon, like you said, it was such a small environment, which is probably perfect for starting off, right, is that part-time, small classes, small town. I remember one time we went out there and there was like a parade in the downtown right by the school and they threw out candy and stuffed animals and I was 100% sold. (laughs) I was in, I got a stuffed animal for the day and I'm like, let's get out of here. I'm ready to go. This is perfect. Yeah, there's something really special about the smaller schools too. There's a real community and small town atmosphere and yeah, Um, the school that I'm at right now is very large and um, sometimes you you have to deliberately tell yourself to go down, walk down the second grade hallway or go up and walk through the um, fourth grade hallway because really I haven't seen those teachers in a while or I haven't seen those kids in a while because it's that big. I mean, you have to purposely, you know, go do it and check in on people. and Yeah. Yeah, it's... 
I, I know I've obviously heard the story before of how you became a teacher, but I feel like we should revisit and tell that story because originally you were applying for a different position in education, not teaching. Wow, it's really a strange story because here's the thing. I think when I was in school, I had the idea about wanting to be a teacher because like I told you, I loved going to school every day. So I'm going to be truthful with you. When I was getting ready to think about what do I want, what's, what kind of career do I want, and what classes do I want to take in college, as much as I told you, like, oh, I loved being around kids, and the kids gravitate to me, and it's something I really would love to do, there's one thing that turned me away from it at that time. What was it? It was like I wasn't a good speller. That was it. That was it. I, I and you thought you have I thought to be good if you're if you're a, a teacher, teacher, you need to have perfect handwriting. You need to be a perfect speller. You know, like the fundamentals. The fundamentals. Yeah. You know, and I thought, well, you and know, I, I always I always struggled with fanatics and um, yeah. spelling and that. And I so I thought, well, you know, I'll go in a different direction. And so um, I went into fashion merchandising and retail management, and I did that for a number of years until I had my children. Yeah. And then when we moved to our small town here in Sandwich, I was looking for a job to do while you guys were in school. And I was going to actually be a bus driver. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Um, I my... can imagine you behind the wheel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down to apply for that. And you went there... down to the bus barn. I did. And she's looking at my resume and everything. She's like, you have a, you know, you have a college education. You have a bachelor's degree. I said, why do you want to drive a bus? And I go, I'm just, you know, looking for, we just moved into town. I'm just looking for, you know, another income, another job. She's like, why don't you be a substitute teacher? I didn't even think of it. Yeah. I'd never even thought of it. So I'm like, okay. And I had met a few um, teachers when we first moved into town, actually the people that we bought our house from, Yeah, she was a teacher. Yeah, she was a fourth the, grade teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, yeah, I should do that. So I, I went and applied and did all the background stuff for becoming a substitute teacher and all the tests that you had to take and whatnot. And I loved it. Oh my gosh. I was like, this is where I belong in a classroom. Remember? Do you remember the first one? Oh, I think it was a second grade classroom. Where was it? What school district? Um, it was in Sandwich. It was in Sandwich. Yeah, all of the subbing I did was in Sandwich. I was going to say, because I remember I must have been in second or third grade at the time. And When I did my student teaching, you were in second grade, and I actually did my student teaching in second grade, so that was fun. That's funny you say that, because I don't remember that. I feel like I should remember that. Well, because I, I had some of your friends in my class, and I, I could use you as an example. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hope it is a positive example I, as, yeah, a, as a you, cautionary tale. Was, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's because I remember at Lindsay Haskin Elementary School, shout out, shout out, mm -hmm. I remember being in that school and having you come in as a substitute, but I don't think that you ever actually substitute for one of my classes. They didn't did want once? us to do – they didn't no. want – yeah, they didn't want you to sub in your own child's classroom. I don't know. Um, but I'm not sure if I would have liked it. I, I think that I would have, though. I feel like I'm the type of person that would have 
I would have enjoyed being, you know, having that attention. Yeah. But I don't know about maybe me in second grade, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. But um, yeah, I did. Um, wow, I'm trying to think like maybe one year of subbing when I thought to myself, I think my husband said to me, why don't you just go back to school and get your teaching degree? So I, I kind of um, investigated that, looked at a couple different options of a couple different universities and selected Aurora University. And they had like a year and a half program to Seven. get, you know, your master's in teaching on top of. And I, I yeah. did have, you know, I did have some classes that were able to transfer over that I had taken for my bachelor's degree. Like one of, you know, I'm an art teacher. I, I took a lot of art classes yeah. when I was going into fashion merchandising, you know, the history of art. Right, art all, appreciation. Art history. appreciation, yep. And all that, which gives me that endorsement. So anyway, um, so yeah, so that that was hard though. It was. I'm ta- you're talking about going back to school at forty. <laughs> yeah. And all right, so you have to take your basic skills tests and all that, and so you have to remember all the grammar rules and all your math. Do you know that doesn't exist anymore? I did hear that. Yeah. Yes. But for me, that was difficult. I, I really, really had to study. Yeah. Because I didn't remember all the rules and grammar and whatnot. <laughs> I know. Your Achilles, your Achilles heel, did you have to, did they check your spelling? Did they check no. your, <laughs> that, that didn't end up coming back to bite you in so, any way? The, the spelling, Thank no. God for the internet. That really Be, saved you on that one. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of people check my spelling and now we have spell check, spell check on everything, <laughs> which is fantastic. And I think since I became a teacher, I've become a better speller. <laughs> so, um... Yeah. So, you know what? I guess the lesson to be learned in that, if there is just one little thing that's holding you back from doing something that you think you're really passionate about, you know, do it, do it anyway, because, you know, yeah, it, no one's perfect at anything or everything. I mean, man, I really wish that you could have had a, you could have substituted taught for me one time. And like, cause I remember having you in the building then, and that was also the year that my dad would come into my third grade classroom and read to us like monthly. I know. And he would bring a whole tin of cookies in. Yeah. And like he would walk in and everyone in the class would be like, yeah, the cookie guy's back. And like there's no better way to endear yourself to like a group of eight-year-olds than just bringing them cookies. Right. And so I had you you in the school and my dad bringing cookies. Like that was was a really interesting year for me. They had both of my parents somewhat involved. When you say that, you know... Um, kids really love to have their parents involved in their classroom, whether it's volunteering for a field trip or doing a class party. Yeah, which... that was my favorite. That was probably my favorite year of like elementary, like of that yeah, level. Yeah, so I guess, you know, take that personal day from work or whatever. And, yeah. And spend it. Well, it's the same thing that we talked about, right? Like, child. They, would, they love that. You, you can take, if you can take a day off of work, like you're probably not going, if you didn't do that, you're probably not going to remember in 10 years, the one day that you could have taken off that you didn't, that you just worked that day. But you're going to remember the day that you were a chaperone for, you know, going to the Museum of Science Industry or something. Yeah. And had to bring a giant tub of, uh, you know, graham crackers or something. And your child and will never forget it, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with the career change thing too like you you went into a different career at 40 
you know, speaking as someone that's in their 20s, and even when you're in college, it can feel like you are, whatever your tract is, I'm on that tract, and now I just follow that forever. This is just where I'm at. And it's really intimidating. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to be like, I'm going to do something completely different. And I'm curious how you felt at the time. And also, like, if there are people right now who are thinking about changing careers that they maybe have something that they were passionate about that they want to pursue what would your advice be so going back to school for me was exciting right being a student again if you know there was no hesitation it was work it was work to to re teach myself certain skills and that but um yeah it was just excitement it was excitement in that first um classroom that I had you know it was so much fun and for those people that want to aren't happy in the career that they have go back to school and you know I mean try something new because you know why would you want to be in a job that's you wake up every morning and dread going into work thing about teaching too every day is new Every day is brand new. You do something different every day. You meet a different class with different students. So you have, you never know what's going to happen. And you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. And it's never boring. Absolutely not. I think we could finish with some rapid fire questions or I'm just going to toss them at you. First of all, (laughs) I know that sounds dangerous (laughs) when I say it like that, like I'm hurling things at you. Biggest surprise over the year, the biggest thing that surprised you about teaching? My biggest surprise is I think I can teach anything that you want me to teach. <laughs> That's a good surprise. I mean, yeah. I've even said that. The grandfather clock, by the way, in case people are getting this, live from my childhood home recording this. There's nothing like it. <laughs> I just even told my principal the other day, listen, I'll teach whatever you want me to teach. I can do it. Speaking of never a dull moment, I feel like part of the fun of having a parent or knowing someone that is a teacher is that every day it feels like you come home and you have a different story of something funny or weird that happened that day oh with the kids. Gosh, yes. Give me one of your best stories. Give me one of your, the ones that you come back to all the time. <laughs> oh, and there's funny things that I do too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got to tell you a couple of funny things that I've done. Okay, please, yeah. One was... Um, <laughs> When I'm teaching kindergarten, and you know what, a lot of times you do something and you don't want the rest of the class to realize what you've done and you're trying... You're trying to cover your tracks. Trying to cover it or pretend it like it really didn't happen. But like, okay, so we have the whiteboards and we got the spray whiteboard cleaner. Yeah. So I was cleaning something off my whiteboard in kindergarten. And I had the spray nozzle face the wrong way. <laughs> Did you spray yourself <laughs> sprayed in the face? My, sprayed myself in the face. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Try to hold back from, you know, you're in, your eyes are stinging and burning, <laughs> and you don't want to let the little ones, you know. You don't want to show any weakness in front of them. <laughs> right, right. You don't want to know that something's wrong, you know. But, um, yeah, I had that happen. And then I Jeez. also had sat in a kindergarten classroom because uh, – they're little people, right? So there's little tables, there's little chairs, and I've missed a chair oh, and no. fallen on the floor oh, no. and hurt myself. <laughs> um, a funny middle school one is we were using, um, we were doing a printing activity. So um, 
we, I have the squeeze bottle of the ink. And it was white ink, and it was sitting on my desk, along with my low hand lotion. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I picked, up, I, picked, I, know. I picked up the printing ink and squeezed it on my hands to rub it in like it was lotion. <laughs> but, you know, the middle schoolers are all kind of very independent workers yeah. and that. And so I, I, don't, I, gotta think, go. I don't think anybody no saw that. I just walked over to the sink and, and washed that off. But I did share that with my counter. Um, art teacher, and she got a big kick out of that. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's just, and, you know, the kids are so innocent, and they'll just repeat, you know, things yeah. so, so fun, so funny. I'm, I'm curious, again, for another anecdote, another story that you have of a moment that was maybe not as, you know, outright funny, but just a moment where you felt like, okay, I actually am, like, really making a difference. Well... When you have that student who looks forward to coming into your classroom when they don't look forward to any of their academic classes but art and music, you know, the fine arts are so important and sometimes we look at academics so much but and a lot of times those students that are struggling academically, they strive in art, mm -hmm. they strive in music and they need that time. and. For us to be able to give them that opportunity in the middle of the day to do something that they really enjoy and are excited about. Yeah. And students that will talk to you after class about something that's going on in their personal life. Mm -hmm. And being a sounding board just to, to listen to them. And if it's not good at home, at least we could make it good at school. You can yeah. at least be a refuge. A refuge. And... Um, yeah, I have a, a middle school student right now who she just loves to hang out in my classroom. You know, she'll, she'll stay there all day if she could because she just feels that comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So my last thing I would ask you is then is, do you have anybody, any piece of advice for people that are coming into teaching right now? Yes. Like I was just, I think it was last week, so we'd only been in the school for one week and there was a fairly new teacher and she already had realized the caseload and the students and the accommodations and it wasn't going to be a, an easy group of kids. Mm -hmm. And she, she was already nervous about how the year was going to go and how she was going to manage this classroom and I said to her I said listen I said find some way to make it fun mm -hmm. find some way to make it fun because if you're not having fun they can see it yeah and you know find and you're gonna come home every night and you're gonna be worn out emotionally physically you got to find times during the day to laugh. Yeah. You gotta find times during the day to be silly and have fun. And they're gonna remember the fun times too, and they're still gonna learn at the same time. Yeah. There's, but boy, you have, I mean, sometimes, I, I remember the kids sitting on, I think I was teaching first grade that, that, that year, and I, I, it must have been story time, we were on the carpet rug, and another student, little girl walked in, another first grader, and she goes, oh, it must be nap time. 
And it just tickled us so much. We all of us, kid, the kids and I, we laughed and laughed and laughed for the longest time. <laughs> was it just a random kid? She was, her teacher must have sent her in. Was the, she the was in the classroom. complete wrong classroom? Well, yeah, she just she, wandered in? I think she must have been sent by her, her teacher. She was a couple doors down. She yeah. was in the same grade. And she must have been coming in to ask me for something for her teacher, maybe. And she's, oh, you're having nap time. Oh, no, we're sitting, sitting up on the rug, and we're, we're having a story that we were going to discuss later. And I don't know, it just... Always. It got everybody, yeah. And you know what? It's, you know, you have to laugh. That was it. That was all I had for you. I feel like we're, you're 17 years teaching. I... You know, my entire journey through education, and even though I'm not a teacher myself, I do report on education. I feel like it all culminated here to us doing this podcast in the dining at the dining room table of my childhood home. So yeah, it's well. wild that we got here somehow. <laughs> I know. And this is a professional venture somehow. Who knows? That was great, yeah. <laughs> and thank you. And again, like I feel like every we always tout that every teacher we have on this show is nominated by the audience. This is the first one that's been nominated by me, so you are my educator. Aw, yeah, that's great, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get great guests like my mom, Lisa Felker. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing this podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, share it with a friend, share it with a teacher you know. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the awesome music you hear every show. Shout out to Spencer Tritt for our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.